0: One of the things that I get asked a lot is, what skill do you think people most need now in organizations? And, and my answer has not changed for many, many years. It's the skill of coaching, actually, which is asking good questions and, and listening um, and really understanding where people are coming from. I, I think being a good kind of business partner starts with asking questions.
1: Hey guys, welcome to Startup Hand Me Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. I'm your host, Philip Kusumu, and thank you so much for giving me the next 30 minutes of your time. I promise it'll be worth it. Today's episode is with Melissa Daimler. Melissa has been an executive at high growth companies for over 20 years. She's now a principal at Daimler Partners working as an advisor, facilitator, and executive coach. Her primary focus is helping leaders define and operationalize culture, which is a huge area right now, especially during COVID-19. Prior to starting of Partners, Melissa was an executive who experienced multiple leadership viewpoints through her career. She led HR at fast-growing venture-backed startups. She created and built learning and organizational development functions for Adobe, Twitter, and WeWork. She built a coaching company while also the first employee at Coach University, one of the first leaders in the coaching field. Her experience as an executive and now as a consultant includes coaching executives, helping teams work more effectively, and building scale-proof organizational processes love a good process. I've been loving these quarantine chats lately. So many great stories here. All right, let's get into it. So Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk with you.
1: Yeah. So when you are out and about, how do you introduce yourself to people?
0: So I work with leaders and companies to design and operationalize their culture.
1: That, that's the intro, not not
2: mine. <laughs> no,
0: my name is uh, you in with the, with the yeah, resume. That's mine that too. That, that's was a, that, was a, that was a dramatic pause because I'm trying, to just, I'm trying to be really clear, and I've heard some of the intros go on and on. Um, yeah, so much more to that's say awesome. behind that. Um, I mean, I, I I would say I I work. Uh, um, and enter in with companies at, at three different levels, just like I did internally for 20 plus years. So I work primarily with um, CEOs and founders um, who are trying to to figure out their leadership style. Uh, they're, they're really <laughs> wanting to make sure that they're not just developing themselves as leaders, but they're also looking at uh the their team and the entire organization um and so they're they're playing obviously multiple roles there i also work with teams in helping them become more effective and um a a big uh focus point is uh when teams are just lacking clarity around uh what it is we're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to be working together so uh you know, a, a big uh, blocking point that we try to get through is how, to, how decisions are made, uh, handoffs, uh, when those are done, how those are done. Uh, uh, so just, you know, kind of figuring out the the right process for um, strategy and checking in with each other as a team. And then as an organization, uh, and I would say that is... Uh, my lens throughout my entire career is just really looking at and working within uh, the entire system. So working with companies to uh, design and think through how do we want to work with each other? You know, what is what is the playbook for how employees um, and, and how we expect employees to work with each other? Uh, so really kind of looking at culture from from that lens and figuring out not just what our values are, but uh, what are those behaviors that go along with those values? And then what are all the processes and, and practices that we have available to us that we can integrate some of those uh, values and behaviors into? Um, so, you know, always looking at. No matter what I'm doing, consulting and coaching, uh, the entire organization is a context and a system with a lot of different levers to pull. And when you pull one lever, um, you know other things have to happen. So when yeah. you're changing your strategy, as you know, um, you then have to look at, huh, you know, we might want to look at our organizational design again and the structure, and do we have the the right people in the right roles to do what we need to do from a strategic standpoint and if not how do we how do we uh rejigger that um so you know i think so often we have this myopic view of of our work instead of kind of taking a step back and looking at if we change one thing you know all these other things need to also be be looked at so that was a longer version (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that was the version that we wanted. <laughs> that was we wanted. Uh, yeah, no, that was good. That was good. Um, yeah, I mean, look, we're going to get into like the work that you've been doing over mm-hmm. the you know the last twenty years or so with like uh-huh. we with Adobe, Twitter, WeWork, um, etc. But just like starting from the beginning, like how did you how did you get into this line of work? Because um, I think a lot of the stuff that you you just touched on just now is you know I, I kind of think of you know executives like yourselves. Um, as kind of like the, the unsung heroes of many tech mm. companies who grow into becoming great organizations. Um, you know, everybody focuses on the founder or like the, the tech or, and the product itself, which is in, important. But I think actually how the organization works is, is something that isn't spoken about enough, I, I don't think, in the, in the startup world and then within the startup mm-hmm. community. But it's something that we're all aware of. And, you know, people know when it's not there right like mm-hmm. you can feel where the, when you can
0: feel it
2: mm-hmm. you can
1: feel it you know and whether that be like a you know a PR blunder you know like a Uber or something like that yeah. um, or there many other companies that that we hear about having horrible um, internal practices um, you know when when it's absent so I think we're going to have a lot to kind of unpack here uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but before we get into that how <laughs> did you get the final work
0: yeah, so going way, way back, uh, you know, I, in college, I studied psychology, and I've always been kind of interested in how people work. Um, I, I think even when I was in um, middle school, I, I found myself in the self-help section, just <laughs> trying to figure out dynamics of, uh, you know, with with uh, my friends and some of the challenges I, I was experiencing. Um, so I was in. I majored in psychology and social work, and I um, realized when I did a couple of internships that uh, we were assigned, you know, to work with individuals one on one. And I always kept asking questions around, uh, um, you know, how did how did this person get here? You know, I was at a women's resource center and and working with some pretty challenging situations and just trying to figure out like, what can we do differently in the system to make sure that women never get to this place again? Or, you know, how do we, Mm.
2: uh,
0: teach men not to act like this and, you know, really wanted to kind of dig deeper into preventing some of the things I was seeing instead of just kind of responding to what was in front of me. Um, I worked in, uh, at a hospital too, in a diabetes unit and, Same thing, you know. Gosh, you know, I kept thinking, what? Some of it's genetic, yes, but what? What can we do to educate on how people can eat healthier and uh, exercise more? And and so, those questions uh, led me to kind of thinking more about how can I work not just with individuals, but um, as I'm working with them, think about the the greater system. Um, and I very early on uh, got involved with coaching uh, back when not everybody else in the world was, was an executive coach. Um, I was the first employee of, of a company called Coach University um, and uh, was one of the first certified coaches and, um, again, started coaching a lot of um, leaders who I realized very quickly it wasn't just about coaching them it was about coaching them and setting them up so that the system around them could function better you know so we ended up talking about how they interacted with their teams i would I would sometimes go into their team meetings and facilitate sessions um, uh, within that context and uh, started talking with some of these leaders about, um, their organizational structure and all the other components of, of their kind of daily work that they did. So it was definitely about them becoming better as a leader and as a person, and also being more conscious of, um, you know, their systems around them and where some of their systems were kind of in their way. And, you know, we kind of, we had to do some, some work there and, 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 where uh where they, there was healthy uh work being done um so i think uh that i, I did a lot of coaching i i uh in the dot com dot bust era um in the bubble here in silicon valley i was um i ran hr for a small startup company and uh again was was working primarily with the executive team doing a lot of coaching but also obviously in that role you have to uh, look at the entire company and, and learned a lot uh, on the job, did my my first layoff. Uh, it was just uh, it, it was it was a, lot. a lot of lo- learning <laughs> along the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then that I, I was introduced to Adobe because I, I realized there was this hybrid role that was there for me around building the coaching uh, uh Field in that, in that company, they wanted a whole um, coaching arm as well as becoming uh, an HR generalist there. And I realized just leading HR for the first time in my twenties, there was a lot that I needed to learn before I did that again. So I wanted to get more experience as a, you know, from a broad generalist standpoint to really understand uh, again, what are all the key drivers that I need to know? inside a company so that I can help business leaders and, uh, you know, hopefully help them not only uh, with some of the issues they had around people and organization, but also help them move their business forward. Um, So Adobe, you know, I credit Adobe with um, so many of my, of what I've learned about uh, being a people leader and, really thinking through again not just how do you help and coach people to be more effective but how do you make sure you're you're working with the business and the business leaders to help them solve whatever problem is in front of them or you know kind of come up with solutions that they may not be able to come up with by themselves versus you know pushing out an HR initiative or pushing out a training or um, you know, kind of being in the way of helping them be more effective. Um, so it, it became a really good lens for me to think about being a, a business person alongside uh, these business leaders that I was coaching.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, because, you know, you have to kind of look at it from both lens, lenses, right? Because,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know, not necessarily coming from like a business background or like, a you know, that type of world how do you how are you able to kind of toggle and be a value add without having the same level of expertise or them or maybe you developed that personally i don't know but how how does that work being in your position having to look at the organization both inwardly and outwardly
0: uh, yeah i mean i um, i asked a lot of questions you know i would say you know one of the things that i get asked a lot is, is what skill do you think people most need now in organizations, and and my answer has not changed for many many years. It's uh, the skill of coaching, actually, which is asking good questions and, and listening, um, and really understanding where people are coming from. So, I, I think being a good kind of business partner starts with asking questions. And you know, I I, I was able to work with a um, every business unit across Adobe. So I worked with the head of engineering, the head of sales, marketing, uh, finance, product. So, I, I got a very good understanding of how the business worked, how our product worked, um, how we made money. Uh, and every time I was assigned to a new leader, I wouldn't just jump in and and start again. I would just I would take a step back and look at, you know, what is what is their world? What are some of their, the issues that they're challenged with? Um, you know, how, where could I best help? Um, and, you know, always ended up asking them these questions as well. And they, they would always tell me, um, I, have always been a believer that, you know, behind every major kind of business problem, there's, there's a, a people issue. um, so there were plenty of things for us to, to figure out together. Um, but I think just having the context of their world and, and what it is they were trying to deal with on the front lines um, and being a partner to that, to help them uh, made a big difference in, in how we worked together and, and, mm-hmm. and frankly, how much I could help. Um, yeah. So, yeah.
1: I mean, like you were, you were at a Derby for, you know, just over 10 years.
2: Mm-hmm. It a long time. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <I'm>, uh, <laughs> I guess you saw a lot happen and change over those years. I guess for you, what were kind of some of the biggest challenges? Um, you know, obviously you went through a number of kind of like mergers and acquisitions, you know, acquiring teams. How how did that affect, you know, Adobe and those organization and then kind of what kind of skills and what kind of processes did you put in place in order to make you know, the growth of Adobe, um, sustainable. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, I, I started with Adobe when they were about 3000 employees and, and left when they were about 11,000. So still, you know, quite a bit of growth. Um, 300%, and
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, and, and saw, you know, and played different roles. Not only was it in different functions, but, um, I helped, uh, start, the first organizational development function. And then we kind of restarted the learning uh, function there as well. And I can share a little bit more about that, but um, we were going through a lot of changes. Uh, um, Bruce Chisholm was the CEO at the time. He had just uh, taken over recently from the the two co-founders, which, you know, is a, is a big deal when that happens. Uh, and um, we we did a lot of good work with with Bruce. One of the things uh, we had done is, it was 20 years, I think, since Adobe had started. And so he wanted to kind of review the values that uh, they had made and created when they first uh, founded the company. And so we did a, a huge kind of review process to ask employees, you know, do these still resonate? Uh, if so uh, what does you know how do these show up um, we so we did a number of different focus groups we obviously worked with the executive team and um, while the I'll, I'll say the essence of the values were still there um, the behaviors and kind of uh, some of the specific wording around them shifted a little bit uh, which you know was was a natural thing for the company to review it again twenty years. Um, and then, you know, another set of changes came when Shantanu uh, became the CEO. Uh, we decided to take a huge risk to move everything into the cloud, um, which obviously paid off and is still paying off. And very, made, very,
1: that was a huge it, decision as well. was huge. Well.
0: <laughs> and, and it was so interesting because there were moments when there it, it may not have happened um, wow. it, you know, it, it's so funny to look at it, things in hindsight, but, um, at the time it, it was a huge risk yeah. and, you know, and kudos to Shantanu and to his leadership team for really kind of thinking through, um, different scenarios and <laughs> how might this go wrong? How, how could this be hugely successful? Um, so they did a lot of, this wasn't obviously, you know, just kind of a, um, random, decision. There were months and months and months of, you know, kind of thinking that through. And then, you know, we did two major acquisitions within a couple of years. Uh, we did um, actually three, um, but the two, two big ones were Macromedia and uh, Omniture. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, big piece of, you um, uh, any acquisition is to try to figure out, you know, are you keeping most of the employees or is it just that you're acquiring uh, the product? Um, you know, that's a decision in and of itself. And and for both of those acquisitions, the intention was to, it was a, it was a talent play as well. So we wanted to keep uh, as many employees as possible. So, you know, how do you uh, integrate, you um, a 1000 employees in, into the organization. And at the time, it was funny, I was going to grad school for getting my uh, master's degree in organizational development. And um, the head of HR at the time, I remember I came back uh, from one of my sessions, and she said, What did you learn about organizational design? Because <laughs> we have a lot to do for organizational structure and kind of figuring this out. Um, because if we're keeping everybody uh, we're kind of we're consolidating some functions. We're creating new functions. Um, so it was a lot of good work. It was a huge HR initiative, and uh, a lot of the business partners and I, you know, worked together to figure out, you know, how do we do this in a way that everybody feels good, which is also hard, right? Because you have different titling structures, you have different expectations around, uh, compensation and total rewards. Um, but, uh, we had a very good retention rate, you know, even after a couple of years in having acquired, um, uh, that company. And, uh, you know, I think it's still looked at as, as one of the huge success stories, uh, at, at Adobe. So that was just a really interesting time. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I think we were then. Uh, I, I can't remember. I think I had been there maybe seven years already. But we decided at that time again. It was we were we changed so much as a business that we once again reviewed our values and behaviors. And you know, I think Adobe is one of those companies that you know and. Bias, but I but I experienced it. I mean, it 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 was a solid business, and it was very clear about what it was and and what the strategy was. But it also um, mattered how you showed up as an employee and as a leader, and you were evaluated on that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I think the you know connection to the values and behaviors was really important. Um, and you know, a big lesson that I I got from Adobe was to make sure that that is not just an exercise that is on the wall, you know, values on a a wall, if that's all it's going to be, then you might as well not do it. Um, But if you if you do it with the intention of having behaviors that then get embedded into how you hire, how you promote people, how you recognize people, how you give feedback, then, you know, that's worth really making sure that we're always aligned and it's, it represents kind of, kind of who we are as a company and and how we work. So we did another, um, iteration of, of our values and those values are still there today. They have four, and then we had a number of kind of behaviors that, that went alongside those. Um, so just, yeah, a lot of, a lot of good learnings at Adobe, um, think my last role role there was we were moving into a time when learning and development was shifting a lot as well to kind of this more blended approach of learning so it wasn't just in-person training um it was we were trying to kind of figure out what is that blended approach so in-person live experiences are great but uh they're not is Flexible, we were a global company. We wanted to be able to offer, you know, different kinds of learning experiences to our employees around the world. And so um, we, were, we were looking at what is an integrated learning approach? Um, you know, how do we create learning experiences that are more kind of bite sized uh, pieces of learning versus kind of three day, week long uh, learning experiences? So I ended up taking over kind of the learning NOD function uh, for the last couple of years that I was there, and and, and really helping to design a different kind of learning experience uh, that all of the employees could um, could do.
1: Yeah, no, that's what going through all of that with me, and now there's yeah, there's, there's a lot, area, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> lots to unpack there, but. I guess, you know, you mentioned it earlier, but like in terms of like the feedback system, I mean, you know, I watched some of your videos online and, you know, you talk about feedback and how to give feedback and how to receive feedback. Like in an organization with thousands of employees, it's, it's vital that there's a correct system in place. But I guess the question is like, what does a good system look like in order to facilitate good feedback and quality feedback and actually have the feedback implemented in a way that's effective? And in some cases where it's not, you know, the feedback might not necessarily be useful or let me not say useful, feedback is useful, but yeah, you know, how do you go about navigating what feedback to take on board and implement and what mm-hmm. feedback not to, to take on board but can't be implemented because it could just be wrong for the organization without jeopardizing or alienating an employee or an executive? Like how does how does mm-hmm. that work?
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think there is bad feedback. Um, I, you know, I, I say this a lot. I mean, I think so often leaders come to me and they say, you know, I hate feedback. Like, I just, I don't understand how to put something like that into our company. I don't know how to do it. And my first question is, what are you giving feedback on? You know, what are you using as your basis or your criteria for the feedback? And I just get blank stares. And, you know, it's, it, feedback is, of course, hard if you have no idea what the criteria for giving that feedback is. So mm. if you haven't kind of clarified what going back to those values and behaviors, what's expected of employees and how we're working with each other, um, you know, so whether that's uh, teamwork or collaboration or, you um, you know, uh, um, pitching in, whatever it is, uh, a good kind of feedback system and process not only evaluates what you're doing, you know, kind of the results that you said you would produce over the last quarter or six months or whatever the cadence is, but how you did it. You know, so often, you know, we hear about these people who, killed it in terms of results like just amazing results but Mm. they also stepped over a ton of people in the process you know they were just not a good team player or they did not create a good um, collaborative experience they were all out for themselves and so I think it's just really important that uh, as much weight is given to the how things get done as to what gets done Um, and so I think a good feedback process outlines very specifically and, and gives people the guideposts to evaluate and give input to, uh, their manager, their colleagues, their team around those behaviors. Um, and I, and I think that that's always the first step to me. Um, so, and then, yeah, yeah.
1: I was going to say, are you a, are you a fan of kind of like Scott Kim, the, the radical candor model?
0: Uh, Kim Scott. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, I
0: I knew you might. Yeah. I mean, I, I I think what I like about, uh, radical candor is that, you know, Kim, I I worked with Kim a little bit at at Twitter. I, I, I think the big shift that, uh, you know, her message was such a good one in that, um, a, a big shift for managers specifically is going from this need to be nice versus being respected um, and and um, or to be liked they want to be liked and so they're nice and they don't give the feedback that they should be giving because mm. they're worried that they're no longer going to be liked by their team or no longer to be liked by their their colleagues but i think you know, I think all of us would rather be, you know, respected um, than liked. Even though it's hard, um, you know, some of the best feedback I've gotten has has been challenging. You know, it's been it's been rough, but I have such a huge respect for colleagues and for managers who are able to give me that feedback in a really constructive way. Um, and so I think you know Kim's message is all about you know if you really care about somebody. Uh, then you're going to focus less on yourself and, and how much you're liked, and you're going to focus more on that other person and how much more effective they could be if if they just maybe tweaked something or you know you you allowed them to see something that maybe was a blind spot to them for a long time. You know, I I mm-hmm. believe that everybody has good intent. You know, I I, I think everybody has good intentions. Um, but they may not always realize the impact they're having, you know, and especially a negative impact. So, um, so yes, is the, is the short answer to that. Um, and I, and I think Adobe was also, you know, one of the first companies and we were even starting to talk about it when I was there to get rid of the whole rating, uh, scoring. You know, I think that is... Uh, came from the manufacturing age. you know, so why are we why are we giving people a number um, with with something that is so that could be so subjective? Mm. Um, and it always demoralized people. you know, so if you have a score of one to five, um, you know, three was not great because it is average. Four wasn't great because it was not a five. And five wasn't great because really I worked this much, and that's really that's all the increase I get for being a five.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, you know, so and then you know one through three is not great because then it's like A, B, C. Uh, four rating scores are not great, so we we tried them all at Adobe. And I think what people realized is is that it's not about the score; it's more about you know kind of the the content of the feedback and the qualitative feedback that that you're giving. And so Adobe got rid of one of was one of the first companies that got rid of the rating system, and gave and trained managers to not only have those kind of good feedback conversations, but empowered them and taught them, you know, how do you use your pot of money um to evaluate how much to to give employees on an annual basis. You know, what what should their annual increase be based on their performance and, and based on some other variables in the market. And so, you know, just treating them like adults and educating people on uh you know what we're what we're trying to do, I think, goes a long way. So I, I just sometimes think we over rotate on, you know, process and um, you know, assuming that people don't really understand how to do things, but if we give some guideposts and and some process and then educate them, educate the managers, then I I, I think that's such a a healthier way to, to go about something like feedback.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. And I think, you know, we spoke about feedback in the context of like organizations that, you know, the Adobe's and the Twitter's for example, but how, Mm -hmm. how how does this apply to like a startup that's Ten people, fifteen people—you uh, know—seed stage. Is this something that they should be thinking about at like now, or is this something that they should be waiting till they get to employee number fifty? Like, is there a optimum number where something like this should be implemented? Um,
0: I—I'm I, I, a big believer that this should be implemented right away. Um, uh, I, I think um, having—you know—you you probably wouldn't have a more formal kind of training program around giving feedback, but I think even having the conversations around uh, what's important to us, you know, I, 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 you know, one of the questions I think you and I were talking about just casually before this is when is a good time to even think about culture? And I think um, as soon as possible with that too, you know, so understanding what it is you value and what are the behaviors that we expect and that we want to, um, have when when we work with each other I, I think is really important to clarify up front um, and so talking about feedback when you're in you know what I'll call a more neutral place when you're not charged up when there's not emotions going when
2: yeah.
0: um, there's not reactions uh, happening around the table um, but you can just talk through you know how how do we want to give feedback or you know w- How do we want to work with each other? And it's you know it doesn't even have to be that um, explicit. You know I think it's more about you know how do we make how are we going to make decisions? You know how do we make sure that um, you know going back to our previous conversation we're not duplicating effort here? How do we make sure that we're clear about what what each of us is doing? Um, You know in those earlier stages you're probably needing a lot more than you are later on, which is why you have to substitute some of those kind of informal um, meetings and conversations with pr- processes and practices. But, you know, in those meetings with each other, um, you're, you're forming culture whether or not you, you say you are. So um, you might as well be uh, more explicit in uh, talking through how, how we want to work together.
1: Yeah, no, that's good. And yeah, like you said, this is very integral to the culture that you want to, to set out within the mm-hmm. organization. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess then the next question is like, how does how do you go about avoiding quote unquote bad culture? And like, I guess in your experience, what does bad culture look like? And what does good culture look like? You know, with, and this is, you know, feedback aside, but just generally like, what's the overall feel of good and bad culture? Because, you know, like I said before, when we were speaking a bit casually, you know, when it's missing, but you might not be able to put your finger on it before you have mm-hmm. it
0: yeah I mean I um I think there there's so much here um i I, I think your the leaders and the employees everyone is interacting with each other in a way that um, comes from a good place. I I think that, you know, if there's any question about something that happens uh, you either get your question answered or you go back to, you know, some, some reasoning as to why that happened. So for instance, uh, if somebody got promoted and you know they have five uh, years fewer experience than another person, and you also know they weren't. They are not so nice. You know they tend to react a lot on on issues. They don't take feedback. Not a good t- team player. But they might be related to the CEO. In fact, it's the CEO's cousin. Um, that is uh, the beginning of the end of culture, um, because I I, I think. If if you can't if there is no consistent criteria for how somebody gets rewarded or promoted, and you start to see that exceptions get made on a consistent basis, you know, friends of of the leadership, or um, you know that person was was more politically savvy, and so they they were louder, and that's why they got the promotion versus this other person who actually. Uh, was more consistent with the kind of behaviors that we want. Um, that creates mistrust that starts to create cracks in a system, and people start to feel unsafe. You know, there's been so much good work lately um, around psychological safety, and Amy Edmondson's work out of out of Harvard. Uh, she's done a lot of work specifically within teams, and you know, one of the 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 factors of a safe environment is that you're really clear on why something happens. You know, there's a, there's a clarity on, um, you know, why a decision was made, or even if you thought that somebody didn't deserve a promotion, you understand why it happened because you can refer back to the criteria and to the promotional Mm -hmm. process. And you can think, huh, okay, I got it. You know, that's clear. Um, now I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be more consistent with those behaviors and, uh, you know, work toward getting that promotion as well. But if it's just, you know, a friend of the CEOs or it was a one-off, I, that kind of chips away at my own confidence in,
1: There's nothing in you can how, do. how we're yeah. working.
0: Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so I just, I, I think, um, being really clear about how you're working together, uh, again, how you're making decisions, uh, um, how you're hiring, you know, early, you know, especially in startups. That's another reason why I think it's so important that um, you're clear about what you value, obviously, depending on the function and depending on the role, you, you want that technical and functional expertise. But, you know, what do we want from every employee? You know, like if, if, if innovation is, is one of our values, and you know, one of the behaviors is that it's really important, and we saw this a lot at Twitter, um, to get V1 out there. You know, just get version one out there. It does not have to be perfect. We can iterate along the way, we can co create. Then, ideally, you know, a, a, a part of that interview process and those questions are about how comfortable are you? uh, in getting that first version out, you know, how, uh, tell me about a time when you, um, you know, you wanted to work on something a little bit longer, but version one needed it to get done. And and you had to iterate on that, you know, how, how did you feel? Like, how did you, how did you get through that discomfort versus, you know, a lot of startups? And, uh, I, I, um, have experienced this, you know, you, you have, uh, kind of, um, you're hiring so fast that you don't put the time into a good quality, uh, interview panel. And, you know, people are all asking the same questions. Um, you know, they're asking silly questions like, you know, or, or evaluating people like, um, you know, gosh, I I I would go to lunch with that person, but I wouldn't go to dinner. You know, What does that even mean? Like, you know, so <laughs>
2: then,
0: like like you know, like they they thought they were cool enough for lunch, but they wouldn't want to hang out with them for a two hour dinner. Like that that says nothing. Um, you know, and there's been so much more uh, written about you know the kind of end of culture fit versus um, really thinking through. Uh, how somebody can add to a culture or complement a culture because you want those diverse experiences and those, that diverse kind of thinking to come into the company. You don't just want a bunch of cookie cutter people who kind of fit into the mold of, of who you are. Um, So I think the companies that, you know, have it right from the start are the ones who really thought through, you know, what is it we value What do those behaviors look like, and then how are those going to show up in a very intentional way in our hiring process? Again, because as you know, in a startup, you are doing a lot of hiring, Um, and so often, you know, I think companies at maybe a hundred employees then realize, oh my gosh, you know, we never did that work up front. We hired too fast. We're going to have to unwind a little bit, and we are going to have to let go let go of people and some of these people just are not gonna scale with us um, more from a behavioral standpoint versus a functional or technical one.
1: Yeah, no, I think you make a really great point. And that was actually gonna be my next question around like the diversity issue. So like, do you think the issue within, I guess more specifically tech, the issue of diversity is based on the founder and like the early founding team um, and them kind of looking like an archetype which resembles themselves, right? as opposed Mm -hmm. to it being just a complete oversight. And it's just a case of, you know, they're doing a lot of things, they're moving fast, they're hiring fast, like you say. So it's just a case of sticking with what you know.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Um, And again, I don't don't think those are bad intentions. I think everybody has a good intention of hiring a diverse team and making sure that everybody's not like you. Um, but if you don't have those checks and balances in place, like if, if you haven't done the work around, um, you know, what are our behaviors and, and what it is, what is it that we want in our culture? Um, then you're just going to defer back to hiring people like yourself, um, I think they're you know, and we all have biases, right? Um, yeah, totally, totally. I have biases. You have biases. Like everybody has biases, and so just confronting that and and being clear about um, what our own biases are, and you know, uh, checking that for ourselves is huge. I think that's what a lot of this bias training has done. Um, I'm not a big fan of just doing a, a um, you know, uh, uh, bias training because I think a lot of companies just think that's all we need to do. We check it and then we move on. Um, I think it's it's it, it's more of a um, uh, systemic issue that you have to look at from all different sides. You know, I think I also don't think you need a, a DNI role per se. I you know I don't think you need a head of culture either because every <laughs> each mm-hmm. of those pieces everybody should own. Um, yeah. D and I should show up in the hiring process. Um, we should make sure that in meetings we're, you know, you know, oftentimes I would catch myself in meetings and, and realizing that not everybody spoke or, you know, there's two people that never spoke up. Um, and uh, I, I would uh, call on them, you know, and ask them specifically, you know, what do you think? Know what? What's your point of view here? And they would always have great insight. And so I think it's there's a lot more work now being done um, in tech just around um, beyond kind of D and I. What is it to be a good ally? You know those those of us who are a bit more privileged and who didn't haven't felt as uh, discriminated against or maybe been in situations where we have felt bias. There is an onus on us to make sure that uh, people who don't speak up as much or who, who are in um, some of those categories of people that have, have been at the effect of bias, it's our kind of job to, to bring them along. Um, and, and again, I think that only does good for everybody um, because you want, you want those diverse perspectives.
1: Absolutely, and I, and I, and I want to yeah. switch gears now and, and, and think about you know the importance of culture, especially now in, in a COVID world, right? Like mm-hmm. the whole world has been rocked and turned upside down. Um, like mm-hmm. how how should companies how should how should CEOs and executives be should be could let me reword that? How should CEOs and managers and executives be communicating with their staff, especially during this time? And like how can they preserve the company culture, even though, you know, right now there is no office, there is no lunch break, there are mm-hmm. coffee breaks, yep. there are, you know, stand ups, yep. how can we preserve that yep. right now?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think when this all first hit, companies were just in reaction mode, trying to figure it out, trying to make sure people were safe. Um, just everybody was trying to navigate this, and and we still don't have the playbook, right? We're all, we're all just figuring this out. And I, you know, I had thought a lot of my work was going to be put on hold, even some of the projects that I was already working on. And in fact, um, you know, I think this crisis is amplifying what we're doing well and and where we need to do better. You know, I think it's a, it's a culture strengthening moment. Um, And your culture becomes very clear in in a a very fast way. Um, And so a lot of the CEOs I'm working with right now, in fact, one of them last week had said, you know, there are so many things I can't control, but culture is the one thing I can, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, and, and we, we, we had just kind of thought through um, there at about a hundred and 10 employees and um had never did kind of a quick values exercise when they first started, but it never really stuck. They have a whole new leadership team now, and so just kind of designed this values and behaviors. We 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 um uh redid their mission, uh and we're now just in the process of thinking through um you know, how do we embed this into uh, uh our practices of meetings? They now have an all-company meeting and um, our one-on-ones and um, some of our total rewards processes you know kind of rethinking that so I think it's a moment of um, reflection for for a lot of companies and they're really trying to figure out um, you know who who are we you know who do we want to be and and how does that look and I think you know, Twitter just announced, Jack announced last week that, you know, you can forever work from home. And he just announced for Square as well, that if you don't want to come back to the office, you don't have to. And, you know, I'd written a piece last week just saying that I, I hope we don't do the same thing that we did with uh, the learning industry and in that we went from one extreme to another. We we did this whole kind of live in-person uh, learning experience. And then we we realized, oh my gosh, everything needs to be online now. It's all mm-hmm. about e-learning. And we realized, oh yeah, there's actually a more integrated, blended approach that probably works in the middle. And I've talked to so many people in the last week who uh, have said, what do you mean we're not going back to an office? I love the office. You know, I love you know the maybe I don't want to go back every day. Yeah, but I I want you know I want that integrated. I want that option, which yeah. which you know Jack Jack didn't say you can't come back to the office. Um, but I but I think we need to really think more strategically about when does it make sense for people to come into the office. You know, when maybe there should be certain days that we have team meetings. Um, uh, maybe there are certain times where we do want to brainstorm. Um, so I just, I, I, I think what this is amplifying is, are things that frankly, we should have been figuring it out before, you know, we should have been more strategic. I mean, I think all of us uh, can say, I, I know for myself, when I was inside, I, I was in way too many meetings, um, I was always looking at, you know, do I need to be in this meeting? Can my team go instead of me? Does this need to be an hour? Can this only be thirty minutes? So
2: yeah.
0: I, I think it's just making us think differently and more strategically about how how we want to work and the way we work and the way that's designed uh, has to shift. Um, but I think how we're working also. Um, it can't be that how we worked in the office is now plopped into how we're working at home. You know, a lot of, a lot of companies who have been working virtually Jason Freed of, of Basecamp is, is um, a role model of mine. And I, I think they've been working virtually for a long time and he's just seen how yeah, there's so many companies now that are trying to, you know, if you did eight meetings in person in the office, you're now trying to do that on zoom. It just, it doesn't work. Um And people are getting fried. Like so many people are talking. So many of my clients are just, um, you know, one of my CEOs last week said, you know, I, I used to a fifteen or ten minute conversation that I used to have in the hallway is now a thirty to forty five minute Zoom call. You know, it just it just it, it's taking yeah. <laughs> more time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, but going back to your question, you know, if you if you define culture as coffee and ping pong tables and hint water. Then yeah, I mean, we're not going to have the culture like we did. But I don't define culture like that. I think culture is virtual. Um, culture is how we want to work with each other. It's it's practices that we want to have throughout the day. It's the uh, you know it's it's the processes that we've talked about already, um, and it's thinking you know much more strategically about. Uh, how, how we're, we're working together on a daily basis. And, and, you know, all these other factors now play in, you know, if you're a parent, um, you may not be able to uh, work from 11 to two during the day, because that may be your shift to, to watch the kids um, if we don't have childcare now. So I I just think that there is a way to continue to have a good culture and, and to build a culture, but it's, it's a, it's thinking differently about um, how to design that with some people working from home full time. And or, you know, some people having the option of this kind of hybrid approach of being in the office and and working from home. And by the way, um, some of the best leaders right now uh, are don't have all the answers to this. I think they're co creating this with employees. That's, that's what a lot of the good companies are doing. You know, we don't, again, we don't, we don't have a playbook. And so, um, you know, how, what are some of your ideas or or what's going to work for you? Um, if you don't want to stay at home all the time, what does it look like to how, how much, how many times do you want to come into the office? And are there certain days that work better? Um, so I just, I think there's a lot more work that we had to do to, um, to make this kind of new reality, uh, Something that um, you know, we all we all want to work in.
1: No, no, absolutely. yeah, no, okay. and with 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 our with founders pledge, I mean, we you know we've been encouraged to you know to even like take make sure you're taking holiday. You know, just because you're at home, that doesn't mm. mean that you shouldn't be taking time off. Uh, yeah, you know, the intentionally of take time off, you know, because you're going to be at home all day you should be taking a day out to read. You should be taking a day out to just, you know, collect your thoughts and not think about work because now work and home are the same thing now. So how do you mm-hmm. navigate that? Um, so I think, I think you know, Founders Project, they've done a, a great job in my opinion so far. Um, are there any companies yeah. or any clients that you can think about, you know, that you can give more like a, of a tangible example of them doing the right thing right now or kind of any best practices at the moment that you've come across?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, again, biased because I was there, but I think both Adobe and Twitter have, have I'm yeah. sure it was one of the first ones that said, you know, look for your own safety, stay at home. But not only did they do that, they gave an allowance. I think it was thousand dollars per employee to figure out how, how can you get your home set up? Um, mm-hmm. What do you need? Because wow. not everybody has a nice little office with a door um, yeah. and, a, and a, and a, 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 a comfortable chair. Uh, so many of my colleagues now are <laughs> starting to get back aches and neck aches and, you know, whatever that takes. Um, Adobe, I think, uh, told, you know, they're, they're, they don't have a, a vacation policy in the U.S., but globally, um, because of uh, some legal uh, parameters, they, they still have to have people submit uh, um, paid time off. But had told people that even if you did that, we were we're not gonna. Um, it's gonna be okay if you go over because we know that you're gonna have to take time off to to do whatever you need to do to to, to get ready um, to work in this in this different environment. Um, I think workday also gave an allowance to parents to actually have them get set up for their children to have uh, online learning. Um, Salesforce is, um, such a good model, uh, always for things like this. They now have a, um, be well sessions that they had for their employees a couple of times a week where, you know, Mark Benioff, the CEO knows everybody. So I think Oprah was invited, like all the big names that that you and I know, Brene Brown, um, but just, you know, kind of different workshops or, or lessons around exactly what you just talked about, self-care. Um, they had meditation programs, um, and they just open that up now to everybody. So it's not just to employees, it's to um, anybody that wants to participate in that. Um, a lot of the startups I'm working with are also offering you know, um, free uh, subscriptions to apps like Calm and Headspace and um different meditation sites. Uh, um, so I, I think a lot of um companies are realizing that that people are getting fried. And it's not just Zoom burnout. It's just, you know, I think it's this overlay of uncertainty with no certain ending. You know, so we're we're all trying to navigate this and be as resilient as we can, but um unlike a lot of the other crises that we've experienced in 2008 or 9/11 or you know even you know, my experience with the dot com bubble and bust, there was a finite ending, you know, and mm. you could move forward. Mm. And we just there's so many things that aren't answered now. So how do you how do we make sure we're taking care of ourselves um, now, but setting ourselves up for you know? taking care of ourselves and, and and putting in some self-care habits that we're probably going to have to do for a while.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a great point. I mean, you know, some people are saying they're not going back to the office until September. Some are saying December. Mm -hmm. We just, nobody knows It's this, this, this waiting game. Uh, and it can, it's made a lot of people anxious. Um, you know, we, with, I recently spoke to, um, the founder of a charity, Action for Happiness. Um, and mm. he used how, um, you know, mental health has just gone through the roof for them as a charity the mm. last few weeks just in terms of people like just not knowing what to do with themselves. You know, if you're an extrovert, you're, you're anxious because you're at home all the time <laughs> and, you know, yeah. you, you get your energy from people. So and, and at this time you can't be around people. So, you know, a Zoom call isn't just going to cut it um mm-hmm. and then if you're introvert again it's like okay you are an introvert and you like being your own but there there comes a a point in time where you do need that interaction so everybody's feeling it no matter what your your personality type is um but yeah so no, I, think, I think it's um it's a tricky time for for organizations and um you know you know I think I, I want to work towards wrapping up now and I, and I usually ask all our our guests um a series of kind of rapid fire questions um and you know if you can, try and answer them as fast as you can. Yeah,
2: yeah,
0: yeah. Uh,
1: so what has or who has been your biggest inspiration today? date? Uh,
0: I, I feel like that changes over time. Um, I, I think a lot of comedians uh, have been my inspiration. One of my values is humor. And I, I, I think just having some levity in our days is really important. Seinfeld continues to inspire me. I mean, He's 60-something and he's still out there. Uh, highly recommend his Netflix special that just came out. Um, mm. But just somebody who just is continuing to hone his craft.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: from a leadership standpoint, I would say Satya Nadella of of Microsoft, just building a, a learning culture with empathy, finding meaning in your work. Like he just, he has turned that company around and not just from a strategic standpoint and in getting results, but just how they're, they're working with each other. So I think those would be my two.
1: Nice. Uh, favorite podcast?
0: So this is fairly new. Have you heard of the argument with the New York Times?
1: Oh, oh interesting. It's,
0: it, it's really good. Um, uh, it, it has, why I like it is because it gives different perspectives. And I think, while we all like to think what we listen to does that, um, we tend to gravitate toward <laughs> politics that are similar to ours. But, you know, they have uh, um, a Republican side and a, 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 a Democrat. I think it's a, a couple of Democrats. But just, you know, looking at the issues of the week and then looking at the different perspectives from different sides. I just think it's opened my mind a little bit to be a little more. Uh, empathetic with some of those family members who may not think like me politically.
1: (laughs) I've got to check it out. Uh, Favorite blog? Uh,
0: I like, uh, have you heard of Brain Pickings? Maria Popova? Um, It is one of those blogs that I have a folder for. Um, I usually, I delete a lot, uh, but she uh she is a masterful curator of um good things to read poems uh she's just always very thought-provoking
1: hmm, i'm gonna i'll check that one out too uh favorite book
0: this one always changes too um
2: <laughs> Most I, <recent>. I
0: i <laughs> i am rereading man's search for meeting meaning i i think um I read it, I don't know how long ago, uh, by Viktor Frankl. And um, it it touched me in a way that uh, um, it just really impacted kind of how I thought about life. And, um, you know, one of the things that it it just reminds me of, as I'm reading again, is, you know, he he said, uh, I think it was the last of the human freedoms is the ability to choose one's attitude, no matter what, the circumstance. And oh, that's very um, stoic. Yeah. So, um,
2: sounds and, like
0: I, that's, yeah, yeah. So I'm rereading that.
1: Nice. Uh, favorite Instagram account or Twitter account?
0: Um, I am following Sarah Blank, uh, Blakely of, uh, oh, She is <laughs> hilarious. She's
2: funny. Her um, husband's funny I, as well.
0: He is, and I just love her authenticity. And um, you know, she just puts it out there. She is such a an amazing leader and built this uh, incredible company. And she also is a mom and dealing with the daily, you know, musings of her husband. And she just, I like that it's not all these perfect, cute pictures of, you know her in you know in in her life so it just it's just a reminder that we're all trying to do the best we can and a little laughing along the way is a good thing
1: yeah totally and what do you wish you could do that you currently can't do
0: um uh i wish i could do stand-up
1: I'm you want to be a up comedian
2: i think you do I, like intel but like I,
0: I know. I well. I've taken some improv classes. We actually had an improv at Twitter. Um, right. I was not Dick Costello, our, our CEO, was a uh, his background was comedy and improv, and I just think he was always so good about uh, you know sharing stories and bringing people along through like these really compelling narratives. And I just I, I feel like the good leaders that I've worked with and that I've you know that I coach are the ones that are really present in the moment and can pivot and can laugh a little and can tell stories. And so um I think those are just a good set of skills to have for for any leader.
1: Yeah no totally. I I, I appreciate comedy as well. Um I stupid you really want to be a stand-up comedian as well one time.
0: You do? Uh,
1: I do, I do, I do. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> it's hard. It's really vulnerable. Very, very, you know that yeah hard.
1: Yeah. Yeah. At the moment, my the biggest audience I've had so far is my family. Uh, (laughs) You know, it goes well every time. So (laughs) maybe I should uh, step out. Um, Okay. Yeah. Uh, Advice you you would give to your twenty one year old self?
0: Practice uh, self care habits now. You know, just whatever you can do to have a habit of daily exercise, meditation uh reading having space in your days you know don't 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 get caught up in these back-to-back meetings um so practicing self-care habits that's good do it early
1: um if you had a hundred dollars in your favorite city what would you spend it on and where
0: Uh, I am a big fan of going to kind of local restaurants or bars and just, you know, talking to the, to the locals about, you know, what, what they like to do, uh, what life is like there. Uh, I think you can learn a lot about a culture and a city through its food and, and drink. Um, so that's what I would do.
1: Um, and what's the one thing startups should ignore in the early days?
0: That they should ignore. Yeah. Uh, that culture doesn't matter. You can get to it later.
1: Interesting. That's what they should ignore.
0: Yeah. Cause it does matter. We should do it now. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, that makes sense. Uh Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um if people want to get a yeah, hold of Where can they find you?
0: Uh so my website uh com. It's m-e-l-i-s-s-a R.com. And awesome. all of my all of my social handles are there.
1: Awesome. Melissa, this is great. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, thank you. this was fun
1: another huge thank you to melissa for coming on the show and imparting all of her wisdom and insights on us definitely something i'm going to be sharing with my organization as always guys thank you so much for tuning in and if you haven't already please like and subscribe on the apple podcasting app or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts they honestly do go a long way until next time guys keep grinding